Praise the Lord, everybody. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Appreciate the invitation to come. And um, I take it very seriously to be able to preach to great young people. I take it seriously to preach to anybody. But to preach to young people of this like precious faith, it's an incredible responsibility. I want to give honor to the men that's gone before me, Brother uh, Wells, Brother Prada, um, Brother McClure, and then today Brother McDonald. Man, what great preaching, unbelievable preaching. Now, I've been joking around. I've been pretty sick for the last six weeks. And a um, lot better the last week and a half. Um, got a blood infection. Don't know how I got it, but I got it. And my wife, uh, we've kind of teased her. The other day I went out by myself driving. And she just kind of looked at me. You going to go by yourself? I said, yeah. She said, I'm not ready for the cord to be severed yet. <laughs> but uh, she told me one day, she said, the doctor told me this was could have been fatal for you. So I just pondered it, didn't say nothing. Day or so later, I think it was, she asked me to help her make up the bed. And I said, baby, don't you know I almost died? I can't make up that bed. <laughs> so I'm kind of in a good position right now. If I do good, all's well. If I do bad, folks, don't y'all know I almost died? So I'm in good shape good shape. I don't feel no pressure. I feel very, very safe in the presence of God and what the Lord's given me. I give honor to the youth committee. Um, appreciate their confidence in me, the executive board. I give honor to the people in my church that's here. I got three young preachers here, some good young people and uh, good folks. I give honor to my family. I love Bill, Brittany, Chera, and Gage and Harper. And I give special honor to my wife tonight. Love them. Give honor to my bishop, Brother Edie Puckett, who should be listening on the uh, Holy Ghost radio. And I love them very much, all my friends. And I am a man that cherishes, cherishes his friendships. And I protect those. And, uh, appreciate being here. I feel like the Holy Ghost just spoke to me, and I want to deliver my soul to this conference. If you, if you would help me tonight, I'd ask that you not be running in and out unless it's an absolute emergency, and I'm going to ask that you turn your cell phones off. If it's so important that you got to have your cell phone on during church, then I guess church just ain't important enough. I feel like the Lord's wanting to move. Good to have Baron and Raina with us tonight. I love them so much. Appreciate them being here. And uh, by the help of the Lord, going to have a good time after church seeing them visiting with them. If you would stand with me. 
I want to first take your attention to Genesis chapter 4, and then we're going to be going to John chapter 4, verse 23. Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 7, and then John chapter 4, verse 23. I want to give honor to Brother Mark Brewer tonight and his wife, Sister Brewer. He is an elder among us that I cherish deeply. And uh, every day for the last six weeks, he sent me a text or called me. And uh, he's been trying to rehabilitate on his own and, and uh, recover from a sickness. And I love him tonight and his family. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 4, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. If you would go with me to John chapter 4, verse 23. John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Father seeketh such to worship him. My subject tonight is this, God's search for true worshipers. God's search for true worshipers. If you would put your Bible down in your chair, can we lift up our hands right now and lift up our voices? Let's shred some air right now with some praise. You can be seated in Jesus' name. We use the words praise and worship interchangeably 
And that's not taking worship and praise out of context to do so. Because in a lot of ways they are deeply connected. But worship has a deeper foundation that I want to bring to you tonight according to the scripture. I want to talk to us about the, the foundation of worship. And God's search for true worshipers. True worshipers. The Bible tells us that the fall of Adam came when they disobeyed the Lord. They believed a lie. And the Bible tells us that in believing a lie, that it took Adam and Eve to a place they had never been. And that was outside of the fellowship and favor and presence of God. Adam and Eve created in God's image to love, to worship, to serve. They had dominion. They was God's hands in the earth, eyes in the earth. They was God's image in the earth. But the Bible said when sin came in, that it drove them to covering, and it drove them to hiding from the presence of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that God, knowing that they had sinned, comes calling, Adam, Adam. Isn't that just like mercy? In the midst of failure, it still calls our name, calls our name, and comes searching for us. God wanted to know where his worshipers were, what had happened to the worshipers, those that he had created in his image, those that he fellowshiped with in the cool of the day, those that he spent time with and put his intention into. He wanted to know where they were at, but sin had caused them and drove them into hiding. The Bible tells us that Satan is a thief. He's a robber. He's come to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I'll tell you what Satan really likes to do. I think Satan's main objective is not necessarily trying to get us to backslide or trying to get us to fall or keep us from God. I think Satan's real intention is to rob God of worship and praise and people that will adore him and serve him not because they feel a guilt complex or feel like they're made to but because out of a deep love and affection and adoration for God Satan don't want God to get that he tries to rob God of that and in bringing the temptation to Eve and Adam in the garden then he stopped that worship connection and caused Adam to hide away from God in the presence of the Lord. Sin is a vicious thing, folks. Sin is a vicious thing. Can I tell you that a lot of us have a very shallow understanding of sin? Because if it really connected with us what sin could do, then we wouldn't be allowing our kids to do certain things. And we wouldn't have certain things in the midst of our homes. And we wouldn't be doing certain things in the midst of our homes. And we would not be listening to certain things in the midst of our homes. And if you young people really knew the danger of sin, you wouldn't be fornicating. And you wouldn't be messing around on your computers. And you wouldn't be fooling around foolishly in church. 
If you really knew what sin can do to you, man, you would be reaching for God every time you stepped into the church. You'd be praying when nobody else would. Sin stops worship. Sin stops worship unto God. Causes us to hide away from guilt and shame. Sin separated Adam and Eve from their God. Brought an immediate spiritual death. Ultimate physical death. Sin brought disease and sickness into the world. Sin took away innocence. Sin revealed their nakedness and shame. Sin robbed them of God's abiding presence. Sin, sin destroys homes, destroys young people, destroys parents, destroys preachers, destroys youth groups, destroys churches. Sin, sin, sin's defined by the prodigal in the New Testament as something that will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever want to spend. Sin is the offspring of lust. What you give your eyes to in lust will conceive sin in your spirit and in your life and in your actions. So you've got to guard your eyes. And you've got to guard your mind. You've got to guard your spirit. The light of the body is the eye. Sin pays off with death. Sin, God says, some say rather, that sin is trifle. God says sin is tragic. Some say sin is a mistake. God says sin is a missing the mark. Some say sin is trivial. God says it's a transgression. Some say sin is really living. God says sin is dying. Some say sin is fun. God says sin is folly. Some say sin is a safe place. God said you've crossed the line when you've sinned. There is no safe place in sin. No safe place in sin. In sin, there's no fellowship with God. In sin, there's no peace of mind. In sin, there's no restoration. In sin, in sin, there's death. In sin, there's destruction. In sin, there's decay. He that laughs at sin laughs while God frowns. He that makes light of sin makes light of the misery of all mankind. Sin is not your friend. It's not the satisfaction of your flesh only. It's the destruction of the soul. And it'll rob you of worship unto your God. It'll make your hands too heavy to lift your mouth so slurred to speak it'll make your feet feel like land where you can't run and dance sin (laughs) 
And it was because of sin that an animal had to die. And it was because of sin that something had to give its life. Something had to give its life to cover the sin. The sin caused condition of Adam and Eve. But when that animal died, that blood was shed. That skin was made of a coat, made into a coat. The Bible says it spoke of atonement with God. It was a cause of atonement with God. It brought man back into the presence of God. An animal had to die to bring atonement with God. It was a type of redemption in some ways. So when it came time to worship, Adam taught his sons that when you come before God to worship, there's going to be a time he's going to call you. There's going to be a time when God's going to want you to come before him and worship him. And when you come, you bring him a blood sacrifice. You don't bring him the fruit of the land. You don't bring him the fruit of the trees. You bring him a blood sacrifice that would speak of redemption and it would speak of man's worship to God coming together. When you come together in worship and you bring a lamb that has to be slain, you're going to watch the life blood of that lamb flow from its body. You're going to see the future and its destiny flow out of its body. You're going to see its relationship to the flock be removed and flow out of its life. You're going to see a separation of security and friends when you watch the life of that lamb being slain. When you begin to worship God, you're going to understand, I want the same thing. I want you to die to the world. I want you to give me your life. I want you to give me your future. I want you to give me your destiny. I want you to give me, man, if it takes coming out from your family, come out from your family. If it takes separation from your friends, then separate from your friends. If it means laying aside securities, lay aside securities. You've got to die. If you're really going to worship me, you've got to die. God cannot get what he wants out of us as long as we're living. Death. So the process of time came. At the end of days. That's what that means at the end. End of a year, end of a week. It speaks of a set time. God said, I've got an appointed time to worship We're at the end of this age, folks. We don't need to be playing Pentecost. Seven billion people in the world. And we're trying to patty cake our way to heaven. No. We're trying to worship with calisthenics. I'm not against it. I think we ought to be dancers. I think we ought to be singers. I think we ought to be praisers, but I think the foundation of all that 
ought to be the fact that we died on an altar somewhere and we give God our all and not parts of us and portions of us, but our all. Hallelujah. We're coming to the end of the age. The Bible said, you're the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. I think God is speaking in the spirit to me and to us tonight that it's not time for us to bring portions to God. It's not time for us to bring an offering to God. It's time for us to bring our lives to God. It's time for us to worship. It's time for us to give our future. It's time for us to give our energy. It's time for us to give our families. Can we lift our hands to him right now? Worship is not a 45 second hand clap. Not against that. Worship's not raising your hands for five minutes, ten minutes. Worship is not dancing necessarily. You can interchange it with praise to some degree. But what God says in the scripture, when he wants worship, he wants somebody to die out to the world. He wants somebody to die out to their ambitions. He wants somebody to give their life not just portions of your time but every moment of every day he wants you to burn with a passion to be in his presence I hear him speaking to us tonight he's calling us to altars he's calling us to altars that we've come to before And we brought, just like Cain, we have brought the sacrifices of our field. We have brought portions of the fruits of our labor. We have brought the fruit of the field, offering of the fruit of the field, the first fruits. Cain brought a portion. He only gave God what he wanted God to have. He did not give God what God wanted from him. He only gave God what he wanted God to have. I'm telling you tonight, that is the spirit of the world. That is the spirit of denominationalism. They only give God half-hearted commitment. They only give God portions of goodness and portions and offerings. They give God a part, but there's a lot more left over. God says, I ain't going to do that. If you're going to worship me, you bring it all. You give me it all. Cain said, I'm going to give God what I want God to have, a portion. He said, I'm going to give God a portion. Abel said, I'm going to bring him a lamb. That's what he wanted. That speaks of complete sacrifice, wholeness. That that, that speaks of God getting it all. When you give your life to something, you give it all. When I give my life to something, it's all, all or nothing. But Cain was a man of sin.
and carnality. His spirit was a spirit of carnality. And when a man is carnal, everybody shout carnal. When a man is carnal, one translation said when a man is beastly, when his nature goes to that of an animal, when he can't control himself with the things of the world, when a man is carnal, that's why your pastor preaches so you won't get carnal. Carnal mind is enmity against God. A carnal mind. But when a man's spirit gets carnal and sin gets in his life, his sacrifice to God gets less and less and less and less. And he gives God just portions. And he tries to put on a show. And God said, I'm tired of people pretending that they're worshipers. I'm tired of the fakery. I want somebody to be true. Uh, Mark chapter 14 verse 3 Mark 14 and 3 speaks of extravagant worship of Mary when she came into the midst of those disciples and broke an alabaster box a very precious ornament costly perfume it represented her life this is the only thing that I can give that would show you how I feel about you and mind you it was something that had to be poured out poured out I believe this is not scripture but I believe if she was so fanatical to come into the presence of those disciples and bring that alabaster box and pour it on his feet, head, body. I don't believe she sat there and just waited till the major pour was over. I believe she waited till every last drop that was in that container was empty. And when that last drop came out, then she began to wash his feet and began to wipe them with the hairs of her head. And the Lord said, when the disciples spoke and they said, to what purpose is this waste? The Lord said, leave her alone. She's done it under my burial. Everywhere this gospel's to be preached, I want you to tell of this woman make her a memorial let everybody know that when you come to worship God you've got to give it all and bring your most costly and you pour your life out into it when you come to God you raise your hands high if you're going to raise them and you get your mind on him and you focus upon him hey 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 young people I know your temptations I know what the devil's trying to do to this generation I know the battle you're going through and I see the effects it has on your life. It's no prayer meetings no more. There's no worship no more. We've got to pump and prime sometimes. I want you to know that's a fight of hell. That's the devil working against you. He don't want you to give God worship. But if somebody tonight can die and let the devil know I'm giving it all. God don't want parts of us 
He wants all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our spirit. He wants all, 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 all. He don't want you to live holy just in church. He wants you to live holy every moment of every day. Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to go to a mountain and I'm going to show you and I want you to offer your son as a burning sacrifice. I want you to burn his body, kill him, burn him. I want you to leave ashes, the dreams, the promises of God lay in Isaac. And God's saying, are you willing to give your only begotten son? Are you willing to give me the most precious thing you could ever have? Are you willing to give that to me? Abraham did not say a word. No hesitation. Oh, to God, that we would be a generation that without hesitation, God says give, and I'm going to give. Oh, to God, when he says go, I go. It don't matter where, I just go. comes to the mouth, the foot of Mount Moriah. My, he could not have told his wife. Sarah would have fought him against that. He had preached to her and his servants, God don't take human sacrifices. So he said, baby, we're going to go worship. When he got to the foot of the mountain, he told his servants, stay here. Because if they'd have found out what he was up to, they would have questioned him. Master, you've always preached to us. God don't want human sacrifices. I can't can't explain it right now, but I'm just going to do what God says. You just stay here. Didn't want him to know. There's times when God asks you to do things you can't explain. There's times God's going to ask you to do things that's going to hurt. There's times when God's going to ask you to give some things up that you're going to feel like your heart has been cut out of your chest. But without hesitation. You know what I think we need a, we need a lesson on? The sovereignty of God. He is sovereign. When you die on an altar, you give up any kind of authority over your life that you've had. And you trust it into the sovereign hand of God. Which simply means God can do with it what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. No questions asked in worship. It's unconditional love and adoration. 
I'm not going to question God on what he wants out of my life. I'm not going to question God on why he wants it out of my life. I'm just going to give. I'm going to give. You know, there's coming a time. I believe in education. I'm for it. But I also believe in the call of God. I believe there's a time coming when young men will be in law school and in the midst of graduation or on the verge of it, God's going to put a call of God into their life and an anointing on them. And they're going to feel like they need to give it up. And they're going to feel like they need to turn it over and forget all the years and finances they put into it and turn their attention toward worshiping God. Man, when you worship God, you yield to the will of God. We want to know how God's going to turn our world upside down. True worship will turn a world upside down. Where are you going? Daddy, where are we going? Me and you are going to go up yonder. We're going yonder. To worship. Yonder, beyond. Beyond the normal. Beyond the status quo, God's never asked this of me before. Beyond the, beyond the traditions, God said, I want you to go to a place you've never been before and do and do something you've never done before. I don't know why God asked him to offer his son. Maybe it was because the followers of Chemosh were offering their babies to the fire pits of Chemosh and watching them die and happy to give them. Maybe it was because those that worship Molech were giving their children to the crocodile pits and they was watching their children die in those crocodile pits. And they said, God said, I just kind of want to know because the Bible said God tempted or tested Abraham. Maybe God wanted to know, do you love me as much as they love their God? Some say, oh yeah, I beg to differ. I'm not being mean, I'm just preaching. But when you let your kids into organized sports, you offer them to the gods of sports. And folks, we're gonna worship something. It's either gonna be the gods of this world or it's gonna be God Almighty. But we're gonna worship something. While I'm at, I want to touch on something else here. Man, we want to be worshipers, but we end up going to ball games. We go to professional sporting events. And man, you know what? You're worshiping the God of the world. You're going to church with them people. I'm not going to church. Oh, yeah. You go to a coliseum and watch a sporting event. You're going to church with them people. And you're worshiping their God. That's why we need evangelists to bring people into this. You're not going to reach your world going to where they go and bringing your spirit in union with their spirit. Hallelujah. Go to church with them. My Lord, 
Abraham said, I'm not going to church with them. If I go to church with them, it's going to cost me the life of my son. If I go to church with them, my boy may start loving their God, may, may start loving their girls. My daughter may start loving their boys and loving their gods. I want to tell you something. I've got two grandbabies sitting over here. And man, I would die. I would fight every devil in hell to keep them out of the world. I don't want the world to take their spirit. I don't want the world to attract itself against God. Now, you're not created to be an athlete. You're created to be a worshiper. Tim Tebow, probably a great guy, but he made a statement one time I read in the paper, God give me the ability to play football, and I feel like I worship God every time I step out on the field. I've heard young men make the statement, if God didn't want me to play sports, then why do I have this ability to catch a baseball, or to throw a football, or to shoot a basketball? I'll tell you why. The devil's put that in your mind. God don't give you talents to serve the world. He gives you talents to be worshipers. It's not time for partial offerings. It's time for the life to be laid. Abraham, daddy, where are we going? Yonder. What's yonder? It's a place beyond any place I've ever been. Yonder takes you beyond the realms of reason. And you pardon me. I love the church. I would die for the church. I love the young people of this assembly. Love them. I love them. But sometimes we get so stuck in reason. Why? Why do we have to worship like that? Why? Why? I don't, I am not afraid of why. What I am afraid of is the spirit of distrust that comes with reason. Somebody said two different educations, worldly education and then godly education. Godly education teaches us we go where he wants us to go, do what he wants us to do. Worldly education says... You need a little more structure. Not against it, I'm just telling you. Worldly education, worldly wisdom says, well, you don't have to go to that place. Why don't you keep it on this realm? If God would have wanted it on this realm, 
then we would do it on this ground. But he wants a yonder. When he got there, he drew the knife back. I don't believe Isaac fought him at all. I believe he laid on that altar because he was a type of Christ and Jesus Christ never fought against his own crucifixion. I believe he laid on it and said, Daddy, if God wants me, he wants you to take my life, then I, I, I may not understand it after all that human sacrifice teaching you taught on. I may not understand that, Daddy, but if that's what God told you he wanted, then, Dad, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to lay it down. You take it when you're ready. About the time Abraham drew the knife back, the angel of the Lord said, there's a ram in the thicket. God chose a substitution that day. And old Isaac came off of that mountain knowing what it was like to worship God. It's when you give God your all without hesitation. It's when you lay even the life of a child down. You say, God, you want my children? One thing worship will teach you is to trust God. Foundation, worship is trust. God says, if you'll give it, I'll take care of all your needs. If you'll do it, I'll supply everything. If you'll just give, if you'll just obey, if you'll just lay on that altar. I wish and I pray that the altars that God calls me to don't have to have horns on them. I hope God don't have to tie me down to get what he wants out of my life. Free worship. The Bible says in John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well. We know the story, five husbands in a live-in. Jesus asked her for a drink. What dealings do the Jews have with the Samaritans? Samaritans were defective in their worship. They said, we believe in the one God, but they also believed in several other gods. We kind of believe like y'all do, but y'all fanatical. On the same token, the Jews were so ceremonial. They got wrapped up in carnal worship to God. It's like a robot effect. We're so used to this. And we get caught up in the ceremony and the formality of it. Jesus begins to tell her. He says, yeah, you're telling me the truth. The man you're with is not your husband. She said, I perceive you're a prophet. And she said, our fathers worship in this mountain. He said, the Jews worship in Jerusalem. But he said, there's coming a day. Everybody say, there's coming a time. Process of time. There's coming a time that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. True worshipers in spirit. They're not going to be wrapped up in ceremony. They're not going to be formal. They're going to worship in spirit and in truth. The spirit of man yielding to the truth of God's word. Yielding to the will of God. Giving themselves to the Lord's work. Serving 
Everybody say serving. Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. You're going to be servants of the Lord. Your worship is the foundation of your service unto God. Giving. Going. Serving. Fulfilling the will of God. My mind's got to be in this. My soul's got to be in this. My heart has got to be in this. You can bring an offering and your heart will come with it. But when you give a sacrifice of worship, your heart is involved in it. Five years ago, I made a decision to come back home. I'm going to tell you, I've been fighting a, fighting a lot of devils. But I'm going to tell you this much. Behind every devil, there's a revival waiting. I don't get discouraged. I get frustrated and aggravated. I like to kick the devil's teeth in if he was physical, physical and visible. But I don't get discouraged. Because I know preaching and moves of God is going to bring move of God, revival. Sooner or later, you think you feel pressure from the world? When we start worshiping in a right way, true way, giving our all, how much pressure you think that's going to put on hell? When the devil realizes every time you wake up in the morning, you don't have to wait till Wednesday night to get your praise on. I wake up in the morning with my praise on. I don't wait for a good preaching message to make consecration under God. But every day I get up, I'm consecrated under God. He said, get rid of the formality. He said, I want you to praise me with sincerity. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. He said, you either go back to the gods of your father's before the flood or you worship Jehovah they said we're going to worship Jehovah and then Joshua said oh no God said he ain't going to take that they said why God said because they're not sincere they're not sincere worshipers they don't mean it they're going to give me half-hearted praise half-hearted service half-hearted commitment you know what I hear Joshua saying choose you this day whom you're going to serve but if you're going to serve him serve him with sincerity God calls us to be worshiping. Worship involves dying on an altar. God says, if you'll die, I'll make you a living sacrifice. Die out to your ambitions, your goals. Die, die. Psalms 115 says this. Their idols have ears that hear not, eyes that see not, mouths that speak not. Their idols, their gods, they worship gods that have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear and hands that can't touch and mouths that can't speak. And he says, 
they that make them are like unto them. And so are they that trust in them. You know what that scripture is saying? People take on the nature of what they worship. You keep your nose in pornography, you'll be a pervert. All you worry about is money, you'll be a greedy person. You take on the nature of that thing you worship. But the Bible said, be ye holy. For I, the Lord your God, am a holy God. Worship brings us into atonement with God. Worship brings us into his stature and into his nature. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living. Hope core is a beautiful thing. I love it. I'm going to go buy me a blue shirt. Next year when I come back, I'm going to try to remember to wear that blue shirt. 82 kids graduated, I think it was. Unbelievable. Phenomenal. Going back to your homes. Home churches and work. Serve. It's a great thing. Hope Corps is doing more on how to teach kids how to worship than any other program that I know. You worship when you die out to your flesh. Saturday morning is my sleeping time, Pastor. But a worshiper. I can't make it to youth service on Friday night, Brother Tiller. I got something going on. A worshiper. Brother Tiller, I've got a headache. A worshiper. Brother Tiller, I just don't feel that in the Holy Ghost. Man, don't get me started on that. A worshiper unconditionally serves a worshiper, a worshiper. I talked to a man a few years ago. I went to Carrollton, you know, it was a, it was a situation. And a good friend of mine with me was talking one day. And uh, the final analysis of that conversation was this. Well, brother... You got caught by policy, but I got caught by my heart. A worshiper goes beyond reason. Nobody understood why I left a good church in Reynoldsburg to take a troubled, split church in Carrollton. But all I could tell you is God said. Did I like it? No. Did it hurt? That killed me. But I went. Because I'm not my own. 
go. I'm going to go. Left a lot of good people that I loved. Came into a group of people that I loved just as much. But God said, go. And I went. What about the security? What's going to happen? I don't know. You mean you're going to a place you don't even know how they're going to take care of you? Has nothing to do with it. God said go. Man, don't that sound, that sounds refreshing, don't it? Your world is telling you to be secure. Your world's telling you you've got to build up savings account. I'm, man, if you can't do it. But I'm telling you, there's going to be times when God says, are you willing to go? If it costs you everything? Worldwide revival, where is it at? In true worship. Go. Go. You pardon the personal experiences. God started speaking to me about evangelizing. Had a good job. My wife had a job at that time, I believe, in uh, making good money. I left to go evangelizing, made 20000 I think it's $20,000 less than I made the year before and had about the same bills, as far as I can remember. And man, never missed a beat. Never missed a beat. But I remember God dealing with me about evangelizing. And I was laying on the floor one night two hours God I've got this job and I've got my kids and my wife how can I let this go and step out on nothing and not know what's going on and all I could hear is go 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 fight fighting that, that voice Evangelist came by and preached for us one night, and he preached about the four lepers outside the city. In that prayer meeting that I had at home, the Lord said, if you don't go, you're going to die. And I knew he wasn't talking about a physical death, but he was talking about a spiritual death. If we don't die at an altar, we're going to die somewhere between the call of God something let's die out to God that evangelist preaching on those four lepers outside the city he said he turned around when he said look me in the eye and shook his finger if you stay here you're gonna die said your only option is to go 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 are we content moms and dads I hope you're feeling my heart are we content to lay in our securities 
and justify staying in those securities because we got to take care of a family. When really, it's not you that takes care of that family. It's God that takes care of that family. If you stay in your securities, you're going to die. God's calling you to a place called yonder to worship. If you don't go, you're going to die. In this house tonight, one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. Mark Brewer started a church in Evansville, I guess over 20 years ago, from scratch. I evangelized and preached a lot of services in his church, but it wasn't the services that I remember the most. Ron, prayer means six o'clock in the morning. I stayed in his home. I'd roll out of that bed. Happy, man. I loved it. Go up to that church over an hour, hour, over an hour, pray. I'd go study for a while. He'd go do his thing. I'd stay at the church all day. On Saturdays, we'd go pray. Prayer was over. He said, we're going on outreach now. Man, we're going on some outreach. And boy, all day long. One day, he took me out, man, from dust to dust. To, I mean, to, from dawn to dusk, never had a bite, not nothing to eat or drink. Man, finally, I'm a poor evangelist. I said, Brother Brewer, if you'll just pull over at that gas station, man, I'll buy you a mountain doing a candy bar. Just pull over. I'm famished. Every, every Saturday, he left special meetings early to go on outreach. Faithful, holy, faithful, consistent somebody and built a beautiful church nice church runs 200 or more people doing a great job doing a great died when he went there football coach teacher educated man i think he even had an engineering degree he was a very educated but when god said go he died out to worldly wisdom and he said i'm gonna lay on an altar and i'm gonna do the will of god Can I tell you right now that there's going to be more than just one Mariah in your life? And then he started growing the church. And every time a new convert would backslide, he would die. I just had a couple of good people leave me. Precious people that I love. When I found out they were leaving, this one person leaving, two nights I couldn't sleep. Teach them a Bible study. Two nights, I died. God had to remind me, you're just my servant. You're gonna suffer. There's gonna be some death in your world. And if you can't embrace death, then you'll never embrace my promise. 
you die. Teach his Bible studies. Brother Brewer, sometimes those Bible studies didn't pan out and you die a little bit more. Then to sustain the church, you told the story about taking the church when Brother Wilson was sick and all the stuff. You died a little bit there. But let me tell you what God found out about you. I can trust you. Two things you find out in worship. Number one, that you can trust God. But number two, God is going to learn if he can trust you. God. 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 I wish there'd be a young person here tonight that would just die a little bit. I wish I could turn loose to this pulpit when I get done. I pray to God that my words would be heavy on the hearts of people. It's the end of the age. And God's calling us to worship. Not to bring an offering, but to worship. Mark Brewer, an outreach man, it's his life. You pardon my spirit. I am so sick of young preachers that look at taking a church as a vocation, as a job. Whatever happened to the call of God on a man's life that placed you in places. I'll tell you what happened to it. It went by the way of the altar of worship. Some men can't even serve God without having a position or a title. Nobody had to tell me when the toilet needed to be cleaned. And nobody had to tell me when somebody didn't run the sweeper. Nobody had to tell me to teach a Bible study. And nobody had to tell me to go knock a door. I found out about all that stuff when I laid on that altar. God, take me. Mark Brewer, 62, three years old now. In February. <laughs> he had a stroke. Paralyzed his arm, his leg. Now, when he goes to the church to pray, somebody's got to help him, but he goes. Listen, now when he goes on outreach every Saturday, two people have to go and help him. What a worshiper. What a worshiper. 
I'm all for your dancing and your praising, but I think that ought to be based on the foundation of true worship. But you hear me. Please hear me. If your dancing and your shout is not based on the fact that you've been an altar and an altar and died there, you're going to stand in judgment against the Mark Brewer one day who is a true worshiper. I don't know why God did that or allowed that. But I learned something a long time ago. That when I'm weak, I'm strong in the Lord. Paul said, if God's going to get the glory for what I go through, then I will gladly rejoice in my infirmity. A true worshiper, a true worshiper that's died out can praise God, live for God, serve God in the time of health or in the time of affliction. When you give it all, it's all gone. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He loved me. And gave himself for me. I want to tell you what drove me to an altar. Where I'd give my life to God. Is the fact that when I was a sinner. He died for me. When you worship. Shed the blood. It's going to speak of the mercy of redemption and atonement. And it's also going to speak of you pouring yourself out. It also speaks of Christ pouring himself out. Peter, what are you going to do? Well, Lord, I'll tell you this much. I'll die for you. What a statement. God said, well, let's, let's just see. When the pressure came, when the end came, and all the world turned against him, we found out that Peter, all that bold talk was just a bunch of fluff. But thank God for repentance. When you say, God, I'll die for you, He's going to prove it. There's going to be a testing. There's going to be a trial that's going to come. There's going to be something to where you're going to feel like the inside of you is dying. But when it's all said and done, God says, I swear I'm going to bless you. How can God swear? He's the only one that can swear. 
Your sin has separated you from God. Your sin has caused you to hide in the bushes. But the Bible said the time is now when God is going to want true worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The will of God cannot be complete in the earth until there's worshipers. Because only the worshiper has surrendered their will to the will of God. You hear me? Only the worshiper. So the Bible says, and it gives an inclination that there's very few worshipers. He's seeking for somebody to worship him. He's seeking for a true worshiper that's died on an altar, that's poured out their life unto him. And he's searching like he searched for Adam. Your sin separated you. But you know what's going on in this place right now? The presence of the Lord is searching. He's wanting to know, are you a true worshiper, not a pretend worshiper, not one who just puts on the facade, but are you somebody that's ready to die out to the world and the things that are in the world? He's searching. Can we all close our eyes right now? He's looking for another Mark Brewer. He's looking for another E.D. Puckett who started a church. Didn't even have a nickel to buy his daughter a hamburger. Had to eat corn and a man would bring him. Man would go fishing every day and bring him fish and he'd clean them and his family ate like that. Made $2,700 in one year. A worshiper. I can't understand God. I'll just make it however we're going to make it. You're going to supply the need. But if this is where you want me to be, I'm going to be here. It's not about a better position at a church. It's not taking a bigger church and getting more money. Man, I hope I could drive a stake in that spirit right now. Position means very little to God when it comes to worship. We need missionaries and we need home missionaries. We need bus drivers for buses. There's buses sitting in our church parking lots that we don't even have drivers for. We got more kids and we've got teachers. But I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a day of prosperity in the church of laborers. When people get a vision of true worship. 
when God finds a true worshiper, he's going to find a servant. I wish everybody in this place right now, if you would stand to your feet. Can we lift our hands to him right now? Let's turn this building into an altar. With all of me, my heart, my life, I give you everything. I'll pay the price, such a small sacrifice.